We started singing that song last week. And it's jumping to the top of my list. Uh, let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in two different places today. We're going to we're starting a new series in Hebrews 11 today. So we'll be in Hebrews 11 to start. But if you also want to put your finger in uh, Genesis 4 and keep a bookmark there, we're going to be back and forth a little bit between Genesis 4 and Hebrews 11. And as you turn there, just today's a special day for different reasons. Uh, first Sunday of Black History Month, as we're celebrating together as a church. It's also Super Bowl Sunday, if you didn't hear that. So uh, there's a lot going on this week. Um, and I wanted to also point out, I don't know if you saw in the announcements, but the Peace Rally is coming up uh, the 23rd. And I'm very excited about how we're doing it because we're going to be at the Silver Moon Drive-In Theater. So uh, it'll be a very fun event. If you've never been to Silver Moon, it's a great time to, to go. It'll be outdoors so you can hang out outside of your vehicle or be in your vehicle, however you want to do that. But um, it'll be a fun time to gather in a socially distant, safe way in this in this uh, situation we're in for justice with peace, okay? So February 23rd, it's a Tuesday night. We'd love for you to, to be there with us. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. We're gonna look at just the first four verses today. First four verses, hear the reading of God's word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, two ways to live. Two ways to live. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, uh, we are um, amazed at your word that it would give such truth, such life. And uh, we ask today that you would do that very thing in us, that you would give truth and life to our souls that, that are caught up in lies and caught up in death. May you bring us to life. May your word do the, the powerful work that it does, as Hebrews 11 says, that it, it would create out of us people in the image of Jesus. God, make us your uh, people, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, a few weeks ago, you may have heard that we uh, lost a baseball and civil rights legend by the name of Hank Aaron. Hammer and Hank, as they called him, uh, was a baseball legend who played 22 seasons with the small market Milwaukee uh, Brewers, and, uh, or sorry, the Milwaukee Braves, as they were then, uh, which were later the Atlanta Braves. So you're probably much more familiar with the Atlanta Braves. And uh, he had this, this career that spanned a long period of time, but for the most part, he, he wasn't well-known. Even though he still holds today many records, he holds uh, the most RBIs, most total bases. But where he really came into the spotlight was when he started to inch toward the famous record of Babe Ruth's home run record. 
And as he got closer and closer, uh, there were problems that started to arise. And, and again, I mean, he's in small market Milwaukee. No one was really paying attention to him, but, but he could hit. And he was this guy that, that no one really knew about. He grew up as a black man in, in a time period where there were no uh, white city leagues as a child. So he had to play just unorganized baseball. And he worked his way through the Negro Leagues and then finally came into the major leagues. And when he comes into the major leagues, he's just this consistent, faithful, faithful, faithful hitter. And as he got closer to the home run record, he started to get death threats. He started to get threats almost daily. He was talking about it in in a special a few years ago where he was saying that that he would keep all of these death threats in a shoebox in his attic because he wanted to remember all that he went through on the journey to the record. And here you are, it's the 1970s and there's white supremacists who are upset because he's coming up against Babe Ruth's iconic record, the record that everyone thought was untouchable. And then he gets closer and closer. In 1974, he comes uh, to one of the games and, and he hits his 715th home run and breaks the record. And you can probably watch the video on YouTube, but it's this iconic scene of him running around the bases and, and Hank Aaron, the man who 30 years before as a black man wasn't even allowed to play in the major leagues. Here he is breaking the, the all-time home run record. How did he do it? I was sitting a couple weeks ago when he passed away watching these specials on on Hank Aaron and testimony after testimony said about him. He wasn't flashy. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't a headliner. In fact, no one paid attention to him until it came time to break the record. So how did he do it? Endurance. He just endured. He endured. He endured hit after hit, faithful, game after game, until he broke the record. Endurance is hard. I don't know if any of you have had that problem, but endurance is one of the most difficult things. The the only reason Hank Aaron is in the Hall of Fame is because he endured. And today, I think we're in a cultural moment where many of us, we don't know much about enduring. We're we're in a time period where, where we barely finish anything. I mean, it might be small things like you can't finish the dishes because you're distracted by Netflix or you can't do this or maybe it's big things. Maybe it's big things on the job. Maybe it's some of the tragic scenarios we find ourselves in right now. Right. Many of us are enduring uh, family crisis or financial crisis. All of us are enduring this global pandemic together. Many people are are enduring racial trauma and injustice. Many people are enduring extreme isolation and loneliness. And there's so much we're enduring right now. Many people right now are asking, probably in this room, can I make it to the end? How am I going to make it past what I'm going through? How am I going to make it past the difficult situation that I find myself in? How, How am I going to get there? It doesn't seem that I'm going to get past what's in front of me. And this was actually the question in the early church as we come to this book of Hebrews. uh, The early church in the time that Hebrews was written was under extreme pressure. The early church was suffering persecution at the Roman emperor's hand. He was threatening their lives. They were taking their property. They were kicking them out of the church. And these were Jewish Christians who, at the time, they had left behind their Jewish faith to follow Jesus And now they're following Jesus, and I'm sure someone along the way told them that life was going to get easier when you follow Jesus. 
and it got harder. In fact, it's gotten so hard, they're wondering, should we just give up completely? How are we going to endure? How, how are we going to have faith in a situation like this? Well, actually, what the book of Hebrews would say is the only way you can endure is by faith. That the only way you're, you're going to make it from here to there is trusting in God. And so we're coming to this new series. We're, we're calling it uh, Enduring by Faith. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, which is famously called the Hall of Faith. And just like with Hank Aaron, many of the people in the, the Hall of Faith of Hebrews 11 are not flashy. In fact, many of them are extreme screw-ups. Many of the people in the Hall of Faith are not the people you would look to and say, I want to be like them in the way they live their life. But you know what? What, what links them all together is they endured. They endured. They went from starting to finishing. And the question is, how? Right? What, what does that faith look like? And Hebrews 11 famously starts off with, with verse 1. Now faith, it answers the question. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? Maybe you've heard that definition being around church. You, you've heard what faith is by Hebrews 11. Well, it's a good starting point. You might call it the bones of faith. But the rest of the chapter really puts flesh on those bones. And, and the author of Hebrews starts to list person after person after person and puts life to what it really means to have faith. And so I want to start today with this question. What, what's the foundation of faith? What, what's the foundation of this enduring faith that, that goes from starting to finishing? We're actually going to look at the story of Abel in Genesis 4. Like I said, if you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. We're going to spend the most of our time in Genesis chapter 4. We'll refer back to how Hebrews refers to uh, Abel's story, but we're going to spend most of our time in Genesis chapter 4. And I want to ask this question, what's the foundation of enduring faith? And if you're taking notes, we have to begin by understanding what it means to be accepted by God. So number one, accepted by God. Look, look back at Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. It tells the story like this. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, here we have in this story, we have two brothers. Right? And this is real old biblical history. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. So we're in the fourth chapter of the Bible. This is Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. And, and we have this situation where both brothers come to God and they each have an offering. And it seems kind of strange at first. If you've ever read this story or heard someone talk about it, it's strange because one brother's offering is accepted and the other isn't. And the first time you read it, you think, well, that doesn't seem fair. What, what's going on here? Why, why does God accept one offering and not the other? Well, it's, it's a little difficult. you, you got to go with some subtle clues here. There's two at least. Number one is their names, right? Their names. So at the beginning of chapter 4, we're told that, that Cain's name actually means to get, 
Like it, it has this connotation of, of strength and, and attainment and self-sufficiency, right? You're, you're relying on yourself to gain something. That's what Cain's name means. And then you got Abel's name. Abel's name means weakness or frailty or nothingness. Do you, see, do you see the contrast here? Where Cain is, is the one of self-reliance and Abel is the one of weakness. And then you have their actual offerings. They don't end up offering the same thing. Cain offers the fruit of the ground that he, he had farmed. It, it was the production of his life, right? And then Abel comes and he offers a substitute. Abel offers, out of his weakness, he offers someone to take his place. So it's real subtle in the story, but the Hebrew author and the readers would have picked up on that immediately because they, they saw these subtleties in how the offering was done. And then you go to, to Hebrews in the New Testament and you see Scripture interpreting Scripture, right? Well, these subtleties become very clear in Hebrews 11. The author says, by faith, listen, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which... He was commended as righteous. Did you catch that? The the author of Hebrews is saying that what made Abel's offering acceptable ultimately was his faith. Because on the surface, it wasn't really about the offering itself. On the surface, it wasn't really about what, what they brought to God. It was the heart underneath. Right? Cain is offering his offering in in a sense of strength. He's offering in a sense of reliance and and, and uh, self-congratulation. I mean, really, the story of Cain and Abel is the story of two ways to approach God. The story of Cain and Abel is the story of the Bible. It's, It's the whole Bible played out in just this one scene where Cain comes to God in his self reliance and Abel comes to God in his weakness, and by faith, he says, I need you, God, to forgive me, to accept me. That's what's happening right here. And so what happens is God accepts Abel's offering, and what's amazing, he says in Hebrews, he was commended as righteous. Don't miss this. This is is the key to the text. What he's saying is Abel had the smile of God, not because of his offering, not because he wasn't a sinner, not because he deserved it. He had the smile of God because it was by faith. That's gospel, right? Only faith receives the favor of God. Only faith receives the favor of God. Uh, At our house, sometimes there's these seasons where we've got balloons all over the house, Usually around birthday time or, or something that happens at their school, our kids bring home balloons, and the balloons are kind of floating around our house for a few weeks. And our kids love to play with balloons. You know, they're running around the house trying to bat them up in the air and trying to keep them off the ground, playing games like that. Well, I've noticed as our kids are playing with balloons, there's really only two ways to keep a balloon in the air. Number one, this is going to seem obvious, is you fill it with your breath, and then you smack it. Like, that, that's it, because you know, you fill a balloon with your breath, and it's not going to float on its own. You have to constantly work to keep it up. You have to keep smacking it, smacking it, smacking it. That's how religion works. That, that, that's how this, this Cain life works, is where you, you are constantly having to lift yourself up 
by smacking yourself. Oh, you better do better than that. You better read more. You better pray more. You better go to church more. You better stop saying those things. You better be a better parent. You better be a better employee. You better be a better mom. You better do this. You better do that. You're just smacking, smacking, smacking. And the moment you stop smacking yourself, it'll fall to the floor. And you'll be exhausted and you'll feel like a failure. But there's a second way to keep the balloon up. You fill it with helium. And then it floats on its own. This is the kind of radical difference that, that the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that this is, this is religion versus gospel. And, and the gospel is this, this gospel of what we call justification by faith. Justification by faith is a fancy way of saying that God declares over you, if you put your faith in Jesus, that you have a new status of righteousness. He literally fills your account with Him, with helium, that no longer needs you to try to keep it up and keep it up and keep it up, but it just soars because it's full. Because it's full of Jesus. See, the justification by faith is, is this idea that you ha have a, a, a testimony over you. That, that's actually what it says in Hebrews, where, where it says Abel was commended as righteous. What, what the word is right there, commended, means to, to have a testimony. Isn't that amazing that, that God testifies over Abel? He says, you, son, are righteous. That's God's testimony. Abel, you are my beloved. Abel, you have my full affection. Abel, you have the fullness of forgiveness. Abel, you, you've been fully reconciled to me. Abel, you, you are in the, the favor that just overflows from me because you trusted me. You see that? Well, what he's saying is there's really only two ways to live. You can only live by religion or you can live by gospel. That, that's it, right? And in religion, it's all about your effort to keep the balloon up. And so you, you have to keep beating yourself up. You have to keep saying, I got to do better. I got to do this. And, and, and you end up being this really critical person. You end up being really critical of yourself, critical of others, because you're never living up to your own standards. You're never living up to your own expectations. And then you're critical of everybody else because neither are they. You see how that works? Like you're, just, you're living by this sense of self-effort and self-reliance just like Cain. But gospel, the way of gospel, is saying... I, I don't bring anything but a substitute. And his name is Jesus. That's it. It, it. It's saying, I'm bringing to God, that the way I'm going to relate to God is I bring a substitute for myself and I bring nothing but faith. See, justification by faith is, is a declaration over you because of someone else. You might be asking, well, how can God see me as righteous? How can God give me his approval and his favor when I know I've messed up really bad? I know my life doesn't look righteous. I, I know my past is terrible and my future might be worse. I, I know what I'm like. It doesn't matter what you're like. That's the whole idea of a substitute. God literally trades places between you and Jesus and says, I'm going to see you the way I see my son. 
And so when I see you, I, I don't see all the other things you've done. I only see what Jesus did. That's all I see. And so I'm commending you. I'm, I'm testifying to you. This is who you are. Now, what does that have to do with enduring? That sounds like a big sidetrack. No, that has everything to do with enduring. In fact, when you're not trusting that, when you're not trusting what God says about you and, and his commending of you because of faith in Jesus, this is where it goes really bad. And this is what happens with Cain. The second point is angry with God. Look, look at verse 5, the end of verse 5. It says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Well, see, what happens is when Cain hears the, the testimony of God and, and God says to Abel, you're accepted, but to Cain, you're rejected, Abel is furious. In fact, the Hebrew there says that his face got hot. Like Cain, Cain was so angry, he's, he's red and fuming. He, he's furious. How, how could God not accept me? How could God treat me like this? I've worked so hard for God. I've done so much for God. I've, how could he love my brother but not love me? And then his anger turns into despair, and, and, and Cain does what he thought would never be possible in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, the Bible says, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Jesus later said that anytime we're angry with our brother, we've already murdered them in our heart. Jesus says, what he's saying is, is the source of sin and outward extravagant sin is already present within us. And what happens in Cain is he, he just does with his hands what was already happening in his heart. He was already full of hatred and anger and violence in him, and it came out. And God told him, he, he said after this scene, he, he said, sin is crouching at the door, it's ready to pounce on you. And it devoured him. See, there's two kinds of anger. There's, there's good anger, there's bad anger. Good anger is others-centered. Bad anger is me-centered. And Cain gets consumed and devoured with this bad anger. And what happens is, uh, anger ends up being the fruit of self-reliance. Self-reliance. Jesus told a famous story to the Pharisees about two brothers in Luke 15, and most of you have probably heard it. It's called the prodigal son story, but it's really not just about one son. It's about two sons. And, and the story of the prodigal is famous because we like the story where someone goes off and, and they do something terrible and God restores them. Because it's a great restoration story. I mean, if you're not familiar with the story, the prodigal, he, he takes the father's inheritance and, and he's reckless with it. He takes all this money and he goes and he spends it at the strip club and the casino and, and he's eating lavish meals and, and he's living the dream for a few moments and then everything goes to hell. And, and his life starts falling apart and he gets to the bottom and he starts finding out that he has nothing left except the pig's food. And so when he hits the bottom, he goes back to his dad. And his dad, you know, he's ready to, the son is ready to give a speech to, to his dad. He's ready to work it off. He's ready to say, you know, I'll never do that again. I promise I'll do all these things to make up for it. He's prepared the speech. 
And before he could get the speech out of his mouth, the father runs after him, chases him down, wraps him in his arms, clothes him with his robe, puts shoes on his feet, throws a party for him. I mean, it's just incredibly welcoming and, and hospitable. But where's the older brother? I mean, remember, Jesus is telling that story not to his disciples, but to the Pharisees. The story is really about the older brother. And when the older brother sees the younger brother treated with love and grace and acceptance, he's furious. His face gets hot. He starts going off on the father. He says, how dare you treat him like this? You've never done anything like that for me. I've been slaving away. He went and wasted all this, and now you treat him like that? Sound familiar? The echoes of Cain all throughout history, all the way to us. And what, what made Cain so angry? What made the older brother so angry? Grace. Grace infuriates our pride. It infuriates it. See, self-reliant people, I don't know if you notice this about yourself or other people, self-reliant people are angry, miserable people. There's a lie out there that you become your own person and you live independently and you do your own thing and, and you're a self-reliant person that you'll be happy, you'll finally have your happiness. Couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, all throughout life, all throughout the Bible, self-reliant people are the most miserable people because grace is a threat to our pride. Right? We've worked so hard. We've, we've earned so much. We, we've tried our best to be the best. We've done all that we can. We've done ministry. We've done parenting. We've done friendship. We've, all the different areas of our life that we've tried to be what we thought we should be. And it didn't work out. In fact, you can have all the outward appearance of a relationship with God and still be self-reliant. You can have all the outward appearance of the good guy and still miss it. And you know what the fruit is? Anger. It's your quick temper. It's your bitter spirit. It's your impatience. I mean, this, this is tough. He's speaking to all of us, saying, right now, I mean, th this is where some of us are. Some of you right now, if you were honest, if you would really open up, you would say, I'm just angry with God. I'm angry that God allowed this to happen. I'm angry that God brought me to this place. I'm angry that God didn't give me what I thought I was going to get. I'm angry. And if you're not careful, that anger can spiral into despair. And this, this is the connection with enduring that I believe Hebrews 11 is trying to draw out, is that when you let yourself spiral in that anger, in that self-reliant, proud anger, it ends up falling apart. And here's why. Because doing life in our own strength, trusting our own efforts, doesn't work when life gets hard. Right? It doesn't work, right? When the, when the doctor report comes back terminal, when the marriage is challenged with infidelity, when the job tells you they're cutting ties, when the, when the doubts that you're having make you wonder if it's all worth it, we give up in despair because we did everything we thought was right and it didn't work. So why keep trying? 
Because I've done all this for you, God, and nothing happened. You see how that works? You made a deal with God, and He didn't keep His part. So you're done. You can't endure like that. You can't endure through suffering with self-reliance. It doesn't work. Here's the paradox. The paradox of enduring is believing that you can't do it. The only way you can endure is to say, I can't endure on my own. I can't do it by myself, right? And so when you're trusting in yourself, your, your, uh, your life gets hard, you give up. But when you're trusting in God, you can endure because enduring doesn't happen by earning. It happens by trusting. Trusting in the smile of God that's on your life, the acceptance of God that's happening by faith. That's what you trust. And so in, in a strange way, faith is really um, giving up before you give up. It's giving up. Uh, you're giving up control. You're giving up your, your desires. You're giving up your preferences. You're giving up your expectations. You're coming to God and saying, God, I can't do it. But by faith. You can do it. And if you do it, then I can do it. You see that? You're, you're giving up before you give up. You're, you're laying down your life as Abel did and saying, I need a substitute. I need someone who would shower their grace on me, who would shower their power on me. I need what I don't have because I'm weak. I'm weak. But the lie of our, of our world is you endure by your strength. You endure by believing in yourself. The Bible says that's, that could not be more wrong. You endure in your weakness, and you endure by trusting Him. And so how, this is what's amazing to me, how does God answer that kind of unbelieving anger with grace? L listen to the third point, answered by God. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. This is fascinating to me because when Adam sinned, God comes to Adam. He pursues Adam. And what does he say? He says, where are you? And then when Cain, his son, sins, God pursues Cain in his sin. And he says, where's your brother? And of course, Cain, so hard-hearted at this point, he says to God, I mean, what are you talking about? I'm not his, I'm not his keeper. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Implying I'm only responsible for myself. I'm only responsible for what I do, where I go. What, what, what are you talking about this us thing? Of course, the implied answer that God is silent, he doesn't answer that question, is yes, you are your brother's keeper. Jesus would later say it, Love your neighbor as yourself. You are, there is an us. And anytime you harm your brother, you're harming the, the heart of God. But what's interesting is God tells him that the blood of Abel is crying out from the ground. The blood of Abel that's shed in sin, the blood of Abel that's shed in revenge and injustice and judgment, the blood of Abel cries out to God saying, bring judgment. William Blake is an artist whose most famous painting, many would say, is, is depicting this scene, the murder of Abel. Have you ever seen the, the painting he, he has in the background uh, 
Abel laying on the ground and, and uh, his body is gray and pale and, and it just looks like you know, he, he's just death. Just his body is, is uh, starting to deteriorate and, and his parents, Adam and Eve, are hovering over the body, weeping and mourning. And then in the foreground, you've got Cain who's running away from the scene and his torso's kind of turned and, and he's facing the, the observer of the painting. And his face is fainting, or facing directly at, at the observer, and his eyes are wide open in horror, and his, his mouth is dropped in agony. But the thing that makes the painting so powerful is Cain has his ears covered with his hands. And you get this sense that, that Cain just can't get away from the judgment. He just can't get away from the blood of his brother that's crying out against him that's saying, bring judgment, bring judgment, bring judgment. And no matter how far Cain runs, no matter where he goes, there's this sense of overwhelming guilt and shame. In fact, later in the story, he says to God, he says, the, the burden you've placed on me is too great for me. Because Cain was feeling the blood of Abel in judgment speaking over him. But what God says is, the blood is crying out to me. The blood is crying out to me, and what's amazing is God answers this cry in a surprising way in Hebrews 12. Uh, Hebrews 12, 4 says that the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's he saying? He's saying God is saying that I am going to answer the blood of Abel with my own blood. I'm going to answer the cry of Abel for justice and judgment upon this wrong by putting myself in the place of justice and judgment, and I will be wronged. I will put my son as, as this new and true and better Abel, right? Where Abel offered an offering to God, Jesus comes and he offers not an offering, he offers himself. He offers his own blood. He offers himself as the substitute. He says, you can take me and my life will be for your life. My life will stand in your place. My life in weakness and in death will take the judgment and rejection of God for your sins. Not because he deserved it, but because he offered it. Not because we deserved it, but because he offered it. He offers his own blood. And, and how was Jesus able to endure such a thing like that? The only way that Jesus would endure all the way to the cross, all the way to the resurrection, all the way to new life, is with the declaration of his Father over him in the beginning. When Jesus began his ministry, his Father spoke over him these words, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. That this is what Jesus took on, on as, as the voice that spoke over his life. This is my Son. This is my son as he endured the temptations. This is my son as he endured the betrayals. This is my son as he endured the mocking. This is my son as he endured the beating. This is my son as he endured the thorns and the nails. This is my son as he endured hell itself. He was faithful to the end because he had his father's voice speaking loudly over him. That's his foundation. That's our foundation. Faith's foundation is Jesus' faithfulness. And so the end of Jesus' parable with the two sons is this invitation. You know, after the, the, the younger son 
messes up his life, comes to the Father. The Father lavishes him with love and acceptance, and they throw a party. He, he kills the fattened calf, which also speaks back to, to Abel's offering. But he, he throws this, this incredible reception of the son, and you know, the older son, he's, he's throwing his fit. He's angry, he's, he's furious, he's proud. But what does the Father do in response? Do you remember from the story? He does exactly what God did to Cain after Cain messed up. He pursues him in grace. God comes to Cain and he says, you too can live under this same grace. You too can be accepted by faith, Cain. And the father comes to the older son and he says, he says to the son, he said, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. What he's saying to the son is, you can live under this grace too. In fact, you're already living under it. Don't forget, he's telling this parable to the Pharisees. The people who had all the outward perception of religious activity and a relationship with God. And he's inviting them in and saying, rather than grace make you furious, It can change your life. It can radically change the way you relate to God. If you come to God with the smile of your Father over you, not because of what you've done, but because of what He's done. Jesus is saying that that this is what my blood is speaking. God is inviting you to live with a better word spoken over you. The blood of Abel speaks judgment over you. The blood of Abel speaks over you. You deserve what you have. The blood of Abel says you deserve the judgment. But the blood of Jesus says I've taken it. And it speaks a word of grace over you. The blood of Jesus invites you under the smile of God no matter what's happened in your life. No matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how far you've run, no matter how evil your thoughts, no matter what you've done with your life, the blood of Jesus speaks over you love and acceptance because of Him. It's His voice that says, This is my child in whom I am well pleased. You are always with me. All that is mine is yours. You are my beloved. Do you need to hear that word of Jesus spoken over you today? Because Jesus is saying there's only two ways to live. You can live under the blood of Abel, of judgment and wrath and religion, or you can live under the blood of Jesus. And under the blood of Jesus, you can endure because he endured for you. Under the blood of Jesus, he's speaking a better word over you, a word that ends with freedom, a word that ends with hope, a word that ends with endurance. Do you trust it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word that you speak by your blood. The blood of Abel still speaks, but yours speaks louder. Yours is louder than any judgment, any wrath, any condemnation, any guilt, any shame. All that we deserve, your blood speaks louder. Your blood speaks better. 
And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to listen, help us to hear it as we endure whatever sin or suffering we may have. May we endure as we trust in your blood for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.